This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and this evening I am joined by special guest Kane Fossil from Dynasty Football Factory. He's the director of DFF Devi and DFF College. Kane, thank you for filling in for Matt tonight and joining the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate um, the offer to be on. I've been listening to the pod before, um, and I really appreciate um, kind of both the takes you do, obviously, Saturday and Sunday, really getting the college football in the NFL and covering all that. So I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. So for our, any of our listeners who may not be familiar with your work, what you're doing over there at DFF, I know you just started a brand new podcast. Just give the audience a little bit of a, of a feel for what you are working on or what you're doing over there at DFF and a little bit about your new podcast venture. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like Paul said, I'm the um, director of college and, De- and Devi over at DFF, um, and we're really working hard to build up our team. Um and really putting out some great stuff there. Um, we have articles coming out at DFF, about five or six articles, it seems like, every day that span anywhere from DFS to Redraft um, to Dynasty, Devi, College, all of that stuff. And we have a really fun promo right now. So if you were to go to the website um, and take up the DraftKings bundle, that means that if you're a new user, go to DraftKings, put in $20, you're going to get uh, 10 free dollars from DraftKings and then also a free membership to DFF. So definitely something you might want to check out if you like to play any of that DFS content. Um, we can also help you over at DFS. We have tons of good writers that do that. Um, but like you said, I just started a new um, podcast slash video format tonight. So it is um, the Debbie Diet. Um, I like to think that I'm a little fat and I'm bulking. Um, so I like to eat chips and I love snacks. So I'm trying to learn all these new snacks from around the United States and really around the world. And we're eating snacks and just comparing them to a Debbie prospect, looking at a little bit of film and just kind of seeing um, if we can make any comp between a snack to um, a Debbie player. So it's been a lot of fun so far. Absolutely. Sounds like a blast. I'm looking forward to checking out the first episode. And guys, make sure you get over to DFF, maybe take advantage of that DraftKings promotion they got going on, or just get a membership to their stuff. I know uh, we've had people on from DFF before. We've been privileged to be on some of their shows as well. Uh, so we we love the working relationship in the community here in terms of Devi and Dynasty and NFL Draft and college football talk. Uh, it's it's Matt and I, some of our favorite aspects of doing Saturday, Sunday is the relationships that we've built with people along the way. So let's get right into this. A lot to talk about. I can't believe, you know, we are ready eight weeks into the college football season. I know Matt and I say this every week. We feel like we were just previewing the season, previewing the prospects in August. And here we are now entering week nine, recapping week eight of the college football season and week seven of the NFL season. So let's kick it off with the NFL draft report for week eight of that college football season. And I'm going to start right at the quarterback position because I think it was a very interesting week from the quarterback position in terms of the the well-known guys, the big guys, the guys who are going to be heavily discussed in the pre-draft months and the rest of this college football season. Obviously, we got to discuss Tua comes down with an injury, something that he has battled some injury issues in the past. It sounds like it's a high ankle sprain. 
The timeline is pretty vague. It could be one game. It could be two games. You know, those high ankle, high ankle sprains are a little bit questionable. I mean, obviously he was impressive the other day in his limited time, 11 of 12 for 155 yards. But the guy I really want to bring up right after Tua is the momentum that Joe Burrow has right now is gone through the roof. Matt and I talked about him regularly on the show, and it was like a week or two ago we were talking about could he have pushed his way into first-round consideration? And now the swell of, of support seems to be that he could possibly be QB2 right now, and he might be pushing Tua for QB1 based on what he's done this year. He's an intriguing prospect. I liked his raw physical abilities and athleticism in the summer, but I thought he had a ways to go with the quarterback progression reading, decision-making, stuff like that. He has checked off all those boxes and then some. My favorite aspect of his game is his ability to move and slide around in the pocket, but keeping his eyes down the field. I think it's one of his best traits he's shown this year. Where are you on Joe Burrow and the swell of support that is is forming, it sounds like, to have this guy not only be a, a first-round prospect, but maybe even in consideration for the top five, top ten, and maybe even in consideration to, pu- to push Tua off of that QB1 spot, which he seemed to be so destined and locked in for, for quite some time. So I think the first thing, um, when we talk about Joe Burrow kind of being that quarterback too, the first thing um, we kind of have to mention is just Justin Herbert kind of taking that step back. And we didn't really anticipate that in the season. And um, Herbert taking that step back, and especially his lackluster game at the beginning of the year against Auburn, you saw a spot for someone else to step up and you weren't sure who it was going to be. Um, and repeatedly week after week, Joe Burrow steps in and constantly is able to throw it deep down the field while making sure that his pocket awareness is as high as possible. And like you said, that's one of his best talents. He can move around the pocket really well. It's definitely a strength that we saw with Tua that a lot of people are touting Tua for is just that ability to move around the pocket. And he can constantly do that. Um, so his ability to throw it deep down the field is really, I think he might be my quarterback too right now. Um, and I think he just has to be with um, Justin Herbert kind of being lackluster so far this season. Yeah, I mean, the Joe Burrow conversation is going to be an interesting one. Still got two major matchups pending that I think could really sway. And if he shines in those matchups against Auburn and Alabama, I mean, there's no telling where the support might go. And he might even legitimately be in the conversation to push to a I do want to, I do want to follow up though on, on Justin Herbert. I, I was able to watch a, a good portion of that game. Obviously he was impressive in the comeback this week, 280 and four touchdowns. You brought up the, his lackluster performance earlier in the year. I do wonder a little bit though, and we see this pretty regularly when a guy goes back to college for an additional year that there tends to be some nitpicking and he's been there so long and he's been a highly regarded prospect for so long that it's almost like during the college football season, people look to poke some holes on Justin Herbert. I do think he's got some consistency issues that I'd like to see cleared up at times. You see that top 10 type talent, that top five type talent. And then other times I question whether or not he's a guy who can be a leader on an NFL field as a big time quarterback prospect. I I still sway more towards, I do think he's worthy of a top five or top 10 pick, but do you think it's some of that just critiquing and nitpicking because he's been around so long in the college landscape that 
1T eventually finishes up his time in Oregon, the pre-draft process, all his intangibles, the work ethic, all of that seems to be top-notch with him. All of that is going to impress the NFL evaluators, and he probably will still end up settling in to be a top five, top 10, top eight type pick. Do you think that could be the trajectory, or do you think legitimately there could be a fall for him where it's not just nitpicking, and he could be a guy that maybe isn't a top 10 pick anymore, maybe he's later in round one, or maybe even round two? I don't see that, but where do you stand on I don't, I don't see him slipping to the second round. Um, definitely have to squash that bug right away. Um, but I think the issue is he obviously could have been one of the top quarterbacks in this last draft, comes back to school, and you think he's just going to have one of the best years ever. And then he faces probably one of the best defensive lines in the first game in college football. That Auburn defensive line is something that we're really going to have to watch um, with Joe Burrow because he hasn't faced a defensive line that good yet. So that's definitely the first thing. Um, but Herbert's great. I'm not saying that he's a bad player. I just think he took a small step back. Um, I still think he's probably going to be a top 15 pick. Um, there's too many quarterback needy teams, especially with teams like um, the Bengals that might move away from Andy Dalton, even though he's still under contract next year. In addition to the teams um, that just obviously need a quarterback, you have the Miamis of the world and um, the Washington Redskins, things like that. But there's going to be enough teams it's just wondering if they're going to see um, kind of the leadership issues that we heard about kind of the first couple of years at Oregon, or if he is actually a true leader now, and you're going to hear some of that come out of the locker room. We didn't hear that as much as we probably should have um, this past off season. So I'm wondering if that might've led into his decision to come back to college. Um, but I think it was his best decision to come back to college. Um, and I think a little bit of it is just the weakness in the PAC 12. Um, Pac-12 obviously being later at night, not as many primetime games. Um, I think that kind of hurts the prospect of Justin Herbert just a tad. Yeah, I, I think that's – I think it's one of those things that he – He's kind of just been a little bit, you know, in the backlight, in the, in the back this year. I feel like Matt and I said, like, he doesn't seem like he's been in the center of attention. And whether that's because the next guy I bring up, Jalen Hurts, or whether that's Joe Burrow, it, it just seems like he hasn't really been the center of attention much this year. Part of it's definitely the West Coast thing. He's, the games are really late, not as many games, you know, eight o'clock or right in the middle of the day. So I think that definitely has something to do with it. It's going to be intriguing because I think I'm living in New York as a Giants fan. He was a guy I think the Giants really had pegged. I, I obviously they fell in love with Daniel Jones in the pre-draft process. Uh, but I, the, the buzz in New York for, for leading up to the end of the college football season uh, and before Justin Herbert made his decision was that the Giants were really high on him. So I do think, he was a lock to probably go in the top six in the NFL draft last year if he came out. So it's going to be interesting to see if, if him going back to school, uh, while it might have been the right call, if it ends up hurting his draft stock. So we'll follow that one closely, continue to be checking in on Justin Herbert. I mentioned Jalen Hurts. When I watched him in the summer, I talked about his athleticism. I talked about his abil- his running ability, his ability to move around in the pocket, to buy time, to even play off structure a little bit. But there were so many things in terms of accuracy and progression reading and decision making that questioned whether or not he was even going to be looked at as a quarterback prospect for the NFL. And I even re- wrote notes in the 2020 scouting notebook for Saturday to Sunday that said potential positional switch at the next level. What we've seen this year in Oklahoma has been remarkable. Uh, 
does he still have things to work on in terms of pure quarterbacking skills? For sure. Going through the progressions with more consistency, his decision-making, accuracy at times. But do you agree with my stance that he has now put himself in position to be looked at as a draftable quarterback prospect? And with what we've seen from Lamar Jackson and what we've seen from other players now at the NFL where their legs, Josh Allen has made a lot of plays with his legs, that mobility and athleticism is now something NFL is craving. And even if he's not a full-time quarterback, maybe just even even if he just ends up eventually having a Taysom Hill role as a fallback, do you now look at him and, and see a scenario where a team could look at him as a draftable quarterback on the NFL level? Well, I think you have to. With his current play, I don't know which GM would say that he's not draftable as a quarterback. Um, he's even becoming into that, is he around one talent at this point? Kind of that talk's coming now. And I think part of it that we have to draw back is just kind of understand that the game that Oklahoma's playing, it's the same conversation that we've had with some um, Ohio State quarterbacks in the past, that their scheme is so good that all these quarterbacks are finding success. And now you've seen three quarterbacks in a row um, in three straight years at Oklahoma all find success in this system. And so it begs the question, are these quarterbacks as good? as we think they are, or, or is the system just that good? Especially when you're facing such porous defenses um, in the Big 12, that's definitely part of it. That Big 12 defense is trash. When Texas is the best defense that you're going to face in the Big 12, that's not a good sign. Yeah, I Texas mean, is trash. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's definitely part of it, but I think it is remarkable that he, he has now maybe – I think first round right now is a little too rich for my blood, but I'd understand it in the way that the NFL game is changing. But the fact that he's now probably in the mix to be a top 100 pick, I think speaks volumes about the improvement and the development that he has shown this year. And part of it is probably the scheme and the defensive opponents for sure, but not all of it. I do think part of it, he deserves, he de- like we like you said, he deserves some credit for doing the, the stuff that he's doing and showing that progress and development. So I do think, Hertz is a guy that man, I say it all the time. You know, it would have been, it, it's going to be just remarkable if Oklahoma and Alabama are on a crash course to meet at some point. Like it seems like this whole season, there could be some type of destiny that is going to put that pairing either in the semifinals or in the national championship game. Uh, and, and it would just be a blast to see that uh, happen in, in the future. So Hertz is a guy that he's up there near the list in terms of guys who have elevated and changed their outlook in terms of draft capital right there. Obviously, Joe Burrow's at the top of the list. But, I mean, I think Jalen Hurts, maybe the jump is different. For Joe Burrow, it might have been like fourth round, late third round pick to top five, top ten. But I do think for Jalen Hurts, it it was basically UDFA or get drafted for a positional switch. And now the fact that he's even in the mix to maybe be a top 100 quarterback are two guys that have elevated their stock tremendously so far this year. And one final quarterback, we talked a little bit about Justin Herbert and his performance this week. And then on the flip side, Jacob Eason, he's a guy just oozing with raw potential and upside. Obviously, we only had glimpses of him years ago in in Georgia there before Jake Fromm replaced him. But I mean, obviously, the arm talent is upper echelon. He's got the prototypical size. He's that more of that prototypical pocket passing quarterback. 
I thought I've, I've been impressed this year with the improvement I've seen in terms of accuracy, in terms of decision making a little bit more. That I think he's on the trajectory to be in the mix to be a top fifty quarterback prospect as well. What do you think about Jacob Eason? I, I like him. Um, you're not going to find a whole lot of things with Jason with um, with Easton that you dislike. I think it's just more: is he going to be able to be consistent? Um, and that's something that we haven't exactly seen so far this season. Um, you've kind of seen a bit of a bumpy road, and I'm not just talking um, that his stats seem to look good just about every game, but I'm talking um, just two straight throws. You know, he might not have two great throws in a row. And it's just kind of making sure that he's able to find the right read and the right progression. Right now, it looks like he's hurrying just a little bit. And if he can just um, speed up that mental process um, and really look at everything in the game and understand that, especially when you're facing teams in the Pac-12 that don't have as great of a pass rush, if you can really diagnose um, kind of what that back seven is doing, you're really going to have a step above on some of these other quarterbacks. Yeah, and I think he's a guy that that's speeding up the clock that you were talking about. I think that'll just, I think that'll come with more game experience. He's so, he know, right. he's so raw in terms of how many starts he's had uh, and getting back into the swing of things that he's a guy that I do think NFL teams will be intrigued. And he might not be a guy that pushes his way into top five or top 10 mix, but I could see some of those teams that maybe are a year or two away and starting to plan ahead, maybe, you know, whatever, maybe the Chargers. I mean, I'm not exactly sure where they're picking because they've been losing a lot lately. But, you know, someone, you know, when the Steelers took Mason Rudolph a couple of years ago, they were already starting to think about life post-Ben. Uh, I can see a team looking at Easton maybe in the latter part of round one or the early part of round two with that mindset of a year or two down the line, we think he can be the guy. Uh, so it'll be interesting to kind of see it started out as a good quarterback class but the emergence of joe burrow the emergence and the improvement of jacob eason the intrigue surrounding jalen hurts has offset the i think the sliding of jake Fromm, and i have questions whether or not he even comes out this year uh but that's a topic for another day i don't want to stay on the quarterbacks too long but i do think it's still a deep quarterback class with a lot of intriguing names so it's going to be fun to kind of watch and see how this unfolds so let's take this to the running back position and this is how i'm going to do the running back rather than we go one at a time here i'm going to group a couple guys together and you can you can chime in on whichever one or two really that you know, you might have an interesting thought or, or take on uh, a lot of the big running back prospects had I- impressive performances this week. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, 121 yards rushing, one touchdown, uh, another receiving touchdown as well. I think J.K. Dobbins continues to slide under the radar a little bit. The, the performance of uh, quarterback there, Justin Fields, and it would be in such a star-studded running back class. I do think J.K. Dobbins is going a little bit under the radar. I think his ability to run between the tackles is something that's not talked about enough. I think he's more than just a space player. Uh, listen, everybody works kind of in a committee in the NFL landscape. Now there's very few guys who see the ball 20, 25 times a game. So I think JK Dobbins could easily be a starting running back at the next level. Uh, AJ Dillon, I think he's another guy that 
Everyone's really, really high on Jonathan Taylor and rightfully so, but I don't think AJ Dillon is that far behind him in terms of athleticism. Uh, I like Jonathan Taylor better. Jonathan Taylor is higher on my running back board, but I do think AJ Dillon is really impressive athleticism as well for a man his size. I'd like to see a little bit more out of the pass game, honestly, from both of them, but Jonathan Taylor has shown a little bit more growth this year, but AJ Dillon continues uh, to put up impressive numbers this week, 223 yards and three touchdowns. I think he's going to be a guy that his size is going to test out really well at the combine. He was in on Bruce Feldman's freak list before the season started. Uh, Travis Ethian this week was the focal point of the Clemson game, had a monster game, 192 yards, one touchdown, chipped in four catches and 35 yards in the receiving game. That explosion, that burst. I, I look at a guy like Travis Ethian, and in terms of, I don't think he's got this crazy lateral, uh, you know, uh, lateral quickness or agility. He's got great stop and start acceleration. He's got great one cut and turn up field. I think in terms of his running capability, the way Dalvin Cook is successful at the NFL level, I kind of could see similarities to Travis Ethan in terms of his running style, just explosive, explosive bursts and acceleration. Uh, so let's stop there. J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon, Travis Ethan. Any, any, any thoughts on those three guys? You know, maybe whether you're higher or lower on than the consensus on these guys. If one of them, you know, you're not, a, you know, any any thoughts on these three guys? Yeah, so I love to start with just J.K. Dobbins. Um, totally agree that he's definitely started to move down some people's boards with the emergence of people like Chuba Hubbard um, and especially our top three running backs that we talk about all the time. Um, he definitely has moved down a little bit. And obviously that Ohio State system is perfect for him. And just the way that they can constantly create NFL caliber running backs um, is something that we always have to watch out for. Um, A.J. Dillon is a guy that I really, really liked more at the beginning of the season. And I think a bit of that is because he seems to slow down before he hits contact right now. And I really want to see, especially with his size, to drive through that contact and just to make sure that he doesn't stop churning those legs. Um, That's definitely something I want to watch. Um, but you know, I've drafted him in so many Devi leagues. I really want him to pan out. So definitely one of my, my guys. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think AJ Dillon, you know, Boston college always has that power running game. I mean, I, I do look at AJ Dillon and I do think sometimes people fear that he could be the next Andre Williams, but I, I think, I think there's more to, to, to AJ Dillon than maybe, you know, a guy like Andre Williams who never really panned out, you know, at the NFL level. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I do think you make a good point though in the NFL with how fast and quick defensive linemen and linebackers are, he's not going to be able to slow down like you talked about. He's going to have to use his physicality and his size to his advantage and run through people and and use that to his advantage. That's going to have to be one of his calling cards that he can be a finisher and he could show that regularly and, and not be slow to hit the hole hard and have to hit it with aggressiveness. Uh, I do think Boston College is a little bit of an undermanned overall as a team this year uh and they're very predictable in terms of their running game so when i do think they face better defenses it's a little bit predictable in terms of what's going to happen so i do think maybe in a different setting maybe pair him at the nfl level with a different style runner uh could open things up a little bit for him so i think he's probably probably a third round pick aj dylan maybe he can sneak into the latter part of round two but i think more of a probably a round three type talent uh at the nfl level we see running backs usually get pushed down a little bit anyway unless they're complete players 
impact the game in, in a variety of ways. So that's not really AJ Dillon. So I, I could see him more of like a third round pick. I think he profiles kind of similarly to James Conner when James Conner came out. I think James Conner has shown a lot more since he's been in the NFL level. But in terms of what James Conner showed at Pitt, I can see someone looking at them and saying James Conner was a third round pick. I think AJ Dillon could be on that trajectory as well. A couple other running backs, and these are guys not at the top. You mentioned Chuba Hubbard before, so I want to bring him up because his stats every single week are just staggering. I'd love to hear your take because we talked a little bit about the defense and the lack of it in the Big 12. Chuba Hubbard, I th- he's got that acceleration. He's got that burst for a guy his size. He has a little bit of an upright running style. He he shows it, capabilities in the receiving game. His change of directions for a man his size is, is phenomenal. I still wonder a little bit about his interior running and his ability to hold up physically and finishing ability as a between-the-tackles runner when the field is not just wide open and there's massive rushing lanes, which he constantly seems to be running through. Any concerns about Hubbard in that regard, or do you look at him and see a complete player that you think could be you know, a guy that could handle a heavy workload at the NFL level and, you know, where do you kind of have him right now? Are, are you seeing day two pick? Are you seeing day three? Are you seeing top 50 type selection? Where do you think Hubbard might be in terms of draft projection right now? Um, so currently I have him as um, a lower tier one, high tier two type guy. Um, so he's my running back four overall. I definitely see him as kind of that late second round, early third round pick. Um, definitely. Um, he has that ridiculous speed, like you mentioned. Um, it's easy to see that when you're watching tape. And he has had a ton of great holes um, until he actually faces a decent defense. Um, and then you're going to run into kind of what you saw when they faced Texas and actually had a good, or well, not good, but a better interior defensive line. And that offensive line just couldn't create holes for him. I believe he had about 35 carries that game and his um, longest carry was seven yards. Um, so he obviously didn't see those great holes like he was used to seeing. And I think part of that is just to the great run safeties and those box safeties that Texas has. I think that's part of it. Um, but I just want to see what he does with a decent offensive line in the NFL. Um, if when he hits a hole, he hits it as fast as possible. Um, obviously not body style wise, but it just reminds me a little bit of kind of how Adrian Peterson used to run. When he saw a hole, he was full steam ahead when he was running the ball. I'm not saying that he has the same type of power as Adrian Peterson, because I don't think we'll ever see that type of power again in a running back, but he has that type of speed that you always are going to want on the football field. And as long as he can start to catch more passes and really show himself as all, all um, facets of the game, I think he's going to be a really, really great pick. And I'm definitely seeing him um, getting drafted in the back end of first round of uh, first round picks in um, dynasty drafts. Yeah. I mean, listen, Hubbard is a guy that, listen, we served Darrell Henderson last year and the same arguments could be said about the holes that he was running through last year at Memphis. And we saw the NFL was intrigued by him. The Rams traded up for him. Uh, hasn't really got an opportunity besides a couple carries each of the last two weeks. And he has shown some of that burst and acceleration. So Hubbard is a guy I do think the NFL will be intrigued with. Uh, Another guy like him, I think, in terms of that burst and acceleration who reminded me a little bit of Darrell Henderson was Anthony McFarlane out of Maryland. Uh, I think those type of guys 
the NFL teams will have a clear role for them in mind to to add another dynamic weapon to their running game. And also maybe in Hubbard's case, also a receiving threat a little bit out of the backfield. So I do think those guys are always in demand to add that another explosive dynamic playmaker uh, to an offense. A couple other guys hit around at the running back position. Uh, Cam Akers, I mean, Florida State, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Florida State fan myself, and it, obviously they've fallen on hard times over, over the last few years, and Cam Akers is not being helped out in any way. Last year's stats were horrendous. This year he's put up some solid stats. Uh, there seems to be some disconnect in terms of you know what some people think about him in terms of the draft world, and then the, the Devi and the draft Twitter community thinking a little bit differently, still looking at him. I still am, am very intrigued with, with Cam Akers' overall game. Matt and I always talk about we're always looking for those three-down players, those guys that can make an impact in the pass game and the receiving game out of the backfield. I think that's Cam Akers. I mean, this week, even in a losing effort, 157 yards rushing and a touchdown, four catches, 42 yards, and another uh, receiving touchdown. Where are you on Cam Akers? And I'll throw into this kind of finish the running back mix. Najee Harris, he hasn't been asked to be like the old school Alabama teams where they just run, run, run because two is such a great passer and, and those four receiving weapons are, are just borderline unfair slash ridiculous. But Najee Harris this week was asked to carry a bigger workload. Obviously a big time five-star recruit. Some people are fans of Najee Harris. I know my co-host Matt Caraccio thinks he is very underrated and the knocks on him haven't been uh, justified in his opinion. Uh, where where are you on Acres and Najee Harris? So to start with Acres, I'm just going to first pull up a tweet that one of my friends, um, Ray GQ, tweeted out. It was just looking at the stuff rate percentages of Florida State. So last year, 24.9% of all plays were stopped at or before the line of scrimmage. In 2019, they've slightly improved to 24.3%. That's 118th out of 130 FBS teams. So obviously, um, definitely something that Cam Akers has to work through. But you see a guy that can still put up yardage and stats despite that terrible offensive line. Um, so that definitely should be intriguing to NFL teams, especially the way that he can catch out of the backfield and even run routes um, deeper down the field than we typically see um, in college games. That's definitely has to be intriguing. I currently have him as my running back five. So definitely that top tier. Um, he's really the top of my tier two. Um, so definitely a player that I love. Najee Harris, on the other hand, um, I don't think that necessarily the knocks are really pushing him down. It's just more other people seem to be moving up. Um, nothing against Najee Harris. I think he's a fine back. Um, and I definitely think he can surprise in the NFL. Um, but we haven't really seen him play with a poor offensive line. Obviously, Alabama gets some of the best offensive line recruits time in and time out. Um, so I definitely want to see if he manages to be on an NFL team that kind of has a worse offensive line to see if he's still going to be able to um, put up the same type of production. Yeah, I mean, I think those are all fair arguments in terms of what you talked about, Akers, and then what you talked about with Harris. It does seem to be a lot of other guys who maybe have elevated their stock a little bit and maybe in a different year, in a different style Alabama offense, I think some people's feelings and takes on Najee Harris might be different. And it, it just, if he was the, if it was the Alabama offenses of old, where it was run, 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 
I think Najee Harris would be a little bit more in the spotlight and began a little bit more attention. And because he's not, and other guys have shown growth and progress and all around better all around games. I think that's why other guys have maybe elevated above him in terms of, you know, rankings in terms of, you know, NFL pedigree at this point in terms of draft stock and stuff like that. But I do think he's a guy who is going to test out better. I think in the pre-draft process than some people might think he's not going to test out great, maybe in the change of direction drills, but I think in terms of his jumps, his, his, his 40 time or adjusted 40 time, whatever, whatever you want to say, I do think for a man, his size, he's probably going to test out better than we think uh, for that. And anytime I have watched him play, I, I know it doesn't sound flattering now because everyone who's an NFL fan remembers Eddie Lacy after, you know, he's out of the league now. But if you go back and watch Eddie Lacy college, the guy who was drafted in the second round and, you know, had a string of four or so good years in the NFL, I do think there are some similarities to Najee Harris and Eddie Lacy and, you know, the good Eddie Lacy, the Alabama and the early years in the NFL. And I think there could even be a little bit more athleticism uh, with Najee Harris and maybe Eddie Lacy ever had. So I, I do think he's a guy that is being slept on a little bit and he could be a guy that, again, another guy that could go in the third, fourth round, but could make noise uh, if given the opportunity. So let's take this to the pass catchers. Not much to talk about at the tight end position. So Hunter Bryant, still a guy, I put out a tweet this weekend. I still think he is one of the most intriguing tight end prospects uh, in that Evan Ingram, Jordan Reed type mold. Uh, no one's really materialized. Last week, Matt and I talked about Cole Komet. He's a guy whose stock I think is up right now. Uh, so the tight end position has kind of been kind of quiet for the draft guys at the moment. So, so let's really focus on the wide receivers. And obviously as someone who follows uh, the Minnesota program closely, I want to hear your take on Tyler Johnson. He was one of the better performers this past weekend in terms of the, uh, the big name wide receivers, six catches, 130 yards and one touchdown. Uh, I've gone on record as saying he's one of the better route runners in the country. Jerry Judy, I think, is the best. But I don't think Tyler Johnson is, is that far behind in any ranking in terms of best route runners in this upcoming class. I have kind of put him on the spectrum when I watch him play of somewhere between Stanley Morgan Jr., who I was a really big fan of last year. I, I was disappointed he didn't get drafted. Uh, and Robert Woods, like to me, that's like the the style of player that I see when I watch Tyler Johnson, and he could be somewhere on that spectrum. Uh, I think closer to the upper level, but you know, I also thought Stanley Morgan Jr. maybe had a shot to be drafted as a fourth round pick last year because of his route running, his physicality, his toughness, uh, and it just didn't happen. And then obviously we've seen Rod Robert Woods develop into a big time wide receiver at his second landing spot there with the Rams. Where are you on Tyler Johnson? Uh, give me your give me your thoughts on Johnson. Maybe a, a breakdown of the aspects of his game that you like the most. Yeah, so I have currently have Tyler Johnson as my wide receiver three. I actually just moved him down from two to three, moving up CD Lamb just a little bit. Um, but Tyler Johnson is fantastic. Um, I think the issue that we're really going to see, especially come. Um, combine process is he's not going to run as fast as people want him to. Um, he's definitely a guy that plays faster than on the field, than he will run the 40 and that shouldn't surprise anyone. Um, I like to say my comp for him is just when he comes out of college is going to be the same as Keenan Allen. 
when Keenan Allen was coming out of college. Keenan Allen, you had that, what, late 4-7? I think it was 4-7-7. Seven, seven, he ran at that 40. And his pro day, where they're a little bit more friendly towards the runner there at the pro days. Um, but he's a terrific route runner. He gets in and out of his breaks really quickly. He can sink his hips really well when he wants to cut inside or cut outside. Um, he's never going to be that big play wide receiver that you might see going deep down the field over and over again. Um, that's just not his game. You might wonder, especially if you watch the first game of the season, I was actually at the first game against um, South Dakota State, but you might have been wondering why in some of those games Tyler Johnson um, kind of gets out of those phased out of those games. Well, first we have a noodle-armed quarterback. Um, Tanner Morgan's not the best quarterback in the world. We know that. Um, and part of it is just the way that the defense is playing. Um, early in the season, they were making Rashad Bateman beat them deep down the outside and bracketing Tyler Johnson, whether – um, with one guy outside, one guy inside, or one guy deep and one guy um, kind of shallow on him. Um, they were really doing well to make sure they shut him down because as soon as he gets in a groove, it's really hard for him to stop. Um, and it's really hard for defenses to stop because he's more agile than you think he is. He does have lateral quickness and he has that agility to make sure that he gets a first down if he's catching that ball just a few yards short. And it's definitely something that he doesn't get the credit for. But like you said, you might have him as the second best route runner. I personally have him as the best route runner in the class. I think he's fantastic. And I just want him to get the respect that he deserves. And I will keep blowing the Minnesota horn uh, to make sure that he does get that respect. So if you ever look at my Twitter at DFF Kane, you will see Tyler Johnson as my profile picture because someone has to give that man some love. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think, he, I think it's warranted, uh, while I might not have him as high in my overall wide receiver ranks, I am a fan of his game. I know Matt is a fan of his game and he's a guy that, you know, there always seems to be a few guys every year that, that Matt kind of, Matt and I kind of stand on the soapbox a little bit for in, in terms of defending. Uh, I could see Tyler Johnson being one of those guys this year because you're right. He's probably going to go. He's the pre-draft process in terms of what is publicized and what is talked about, it's probably not going to do him any favors, which means more likely than not, his draft stock could fall a little bit. But he's one of those guys that when he gets into an NFL locker room, training camp, on the field, I do think his skill set will shine. I hope for his sake and for the fans of him, like you and I and Matt and others, I do hope there's at least enough draft capital attached to it. So he gets a legitimate chance because whatever people want to say, draft capital does garner a lot in terms of how much leeway these guys get, how much opportunity these guys get. It's easy to always say, Oh, the, the, the talent rises to the top. Yeah. But, but you're the, the amount of opportunity and the, the ch- chances you get are significantly greater if you had some draft capital attached to you. So I hope he does. I hope he's either second or third or worst case scenario, early fourth round pick and has that draft capital attached to him. I hope he's not a guy that if the pre-draft process doesn't go his way, he gets pushed down, you know, at, you know, to the late rounds, you know, or whatever. Like, and I, and I, I mentioned him. Briefly, I think Stanley Morgan Jr. was a really 
good college player and a guy who is tough and physical. And I had conversations on here on my show with Matt Waldman, who obviously people respect him tremendously. He was a huge fan of Stanley Morgan Jr. And we saw a lot of things the same on, on Stanley Morgan Jr. I was on the Harris football podcast. We talked about him on there. He was a fan of his game and he, he goes undrafted and, you know, he's bounced around, I think in terms of, you know, practice squads and stuff like that. And you wonder if he ever gets an opportunity to show, you know, that route running, that physicality, that toughness that I thought we saw when he was in college. So it'd be interesting to see, hopefully Tyler Johnson more in the upper level there uh, and, and gets that opportunity. Cause I'm right there with you. I like the Keenan Allen comp a little bit too, because obviously Keenan Allen, not great athletically, but f- fantastic route runner, just knows how, knows how to get open. So let's close out the wide receivers. I'm going to rattle off a couple names, pick one or two you want to talk about. Uh, Justin Jefferson from LSU just continues to shine eight catches, 89 yards and one touchdown as Joe Burrow's stock has increased. Justin Jefferson's stock has increased as well. The two Texas wide receivers, Colin Johnson back, uh, this week, eight for 96, Devin Duvernay continuing to make plays in, in a versatile chess piece role, eight catches, 110 yards, uh, and two touchdowns. And then Brian Edwards, seven catches, 78 yards for South Carolina uh, any thoughts on any of those guys, whether it's Edwards, Jefferson, Johnson, or Duvernay? One or two of those guys you want to, you want to comment on? Yeah, so I'll start with the Texas receivers. I obviously with big play Duvernay. Um, you've been seeing some some great games, especially with Colin Johnson out. Um, and I think with Colin Johnson, I think that injury might have happened a little earlier. Um, then he was kind of letting on and when he was kind of missing those games because you didn't see a whole lot of high effort those first couple of games at Texas. Um, so definitely something that I want to go back and watch that film again on. Um, but obviously Dubernay's fantastic. And when we look at, um, Brian Edwards over at South Carolina, I don't think he's getting the respect that he deserves. I'm um, definitely a receiver that can go up and get the ball has great agility. Um, I, I just want to see where he lands. He's one of those guys where as soon as we go through the draft process and we see um, kind of what he's going to do at the combine, you're just excited to see where guys like that land. Cause you might not be able to get first, second, third round capital, but sometimes those fourth, fifth, fifth round guys might be right into a system that will work for them. And um, if he can do that, Man, like the sky's the limit for players like that that have the heart and the will to want to play as hard as they can. Yeah, I mean, and Edwards Edwards would be interesting because there was a report before the season started about his forty time or something, and it was it was like if if it I forget the the actual number that that was being reported, but if he did that, he would he would I think his I think he would skyrocket up draft boards for his ball skills and and stuff that he does because. To me, I thought he was going to test out as more like a four, five, five guy, give or take, you know, around there. But I, I remember the report being significantly faster than that. And I was thinking to myself, that would be really intriguing. You know, I like his, I like him, the player. I think he should be a day two type talent. Uh, if he falls to Daybury, I think that would be a steal for, for a player of his, uh, skill set and, and, and traits. So it'd be, it'd be, uh, interesting to kind of follow so many of these guys. I mean, I can't believe we're re- even talking about pre-draft process, but I mean, here we are, you know, week nine and entering week nine in the college football season. It's not that far away. I mean, you like know, we're halfway through already. Yeah. Like we're halfway through college football and it's bananas. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it's too early. I mean, in, within the next like three or four weeks, we're probably going to start hearing things leak out about, you know, people being invited to senior bowls or shrine game week and, and stuff like that. Like that stuff probably comes out, you know, late November, early December, and we're not that far away from that. So uh, it's crazy that we're, we're uh, this far into the year already. So that's the NFL draft report for week eight. Let's turn our attention to the Debbie slant where we just talk about a couple underclassmen prospects each week. Uh, you know, whether, you know, just to keep him on our radars for the following years to, for people who play in Debbie leagues. Uh, I got to get your take on the, on the quarterbacks, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, obviously Trevor Lawrence's, I don't, I don't even want to really use the word struggles at times this year, inconsistencies, growing pains, developmental curve. Obviously he hasn't taken college football over by storm this year. Like I think most people did. Matt and I have gone on record that we just think it's part of the process and development of a quarterback, a young quarterback. Teams are game planning more for him. Now everybody gets up for Clemson. I I'm not worried in the long run about Trevor Lawrence. So I'm interested to hear your take on him. And then my co-host Matt has been saying for two years, basically, I feel like since he's been in high school that Justin Fields was just as talented, if not more talented than Trevor Lawrence. Even last year when Lawrence was lighting the college football world up, he kept reminding people, Justin Fields, just wait, just wait. And I've gone on record since before the season started that I think Georgia made a colossal, colossal mistake picking Jake Fromm over Justin Fields. And, and that's what they did. There's no way around it. If, if Justin Fields picked Georgia for a reason, if he knew he had an opportunity to start this year, he would not have left. And I think they wanted to go with the experience. And I don't think they lose that game two weeks ago if Justin Fields is the quarterback. I think they should have given Justin Fields every opportunity to be the quarterback of that team. I think he would be the type of quarterback that could have got them over the hump over Alabama. I don't think Jake Fromm is. I don't think he will this year. They already have a loss, so the playoffs are going to be very challenging for them to even get back into the mix. And even if he comes back, I don't think he's a guy who's going to get Georgia to where they want to be, and I think they made a mistake. So your quick take on Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, obviously both ridiculously high-level prospects. Yeah, so – with kind of the same thing that we talked about with some of the other quarterbacks, but with Fields, the biggest thing that I wanted to see is just how well he's going to move around the pocket. Obviously, we didn't see a good defensive line, obviously, until they faced Michigan State with Willikies. Um, but he got a little more pressure on him that game, and I really wanted to see how well he'd move around the pocket. Obviously, he does a terrific job of uh, finding the open receiver, which there seems to be two or three on every time he throws the ball um, because just that Ohio state scheme seems to work for him. Um, but he's been fantastic. And I definitely just want to see how he's going to continue to progress. It's going to be much harder for him as the season goes on and he's facing better big 10 teams. And just the way that he, you know, has to prepare each week when the defense has kind of seen him game after game and have some more film on him. And they're going to be able to shut him down just a little bit more each week. Um, and I think that's the same thing that's happening to uh, Lawrence. We obviously know that he can make all the throws and they're shutting down more of the throws for him now, instead of kind of the shorter routes that they thought he was going to take um, last year. Obviously, as a freshman quarterback, you want to shut down as many of those shorter throws as possible and make him beat you deep down the field. And he was able to do that. But now that you've seen that he prefers some of those deep 
deeper routes. If they can cover those deep routes and kind of leave those checkdowns open, he's still wanting to give his guys a chance in both Higgins and Ross a chance deep down the field. And with more defense kind of covering those routes, it's just been harder for him to place the ball as perfect as possible. Um, so definitely, I'm not worried about him. Um, I still have him um, just one spot ahead of Fields in my rankings. So obviously have him really close together. I just want to see how both of them are going to progress. Yeah, I mean, and that's the the right way to approach it. I do think they are both high-level prospects. They should be close in rankings. I think the NFL will be enamored with both of them a year from now. Uh, they will be the guys getting picked apart and criticized for every single play and moment of next year as they approach their uh, NFL draft as well. But two great prospects that continue to – hopefully have a surge of new quarterbacks at the next level uh, to make to because NFL desperately needs an influx of, of some new quarterbacks, uh, especially with how many you, you mentioned it before, how many quarterback needy teams there are. And even teams that recently drafted quarterbacks, you know, they might be in the market again sooner rather than later teams like the bears. And, you know, if this coaching regime changes, you know, obviously, you know, Dwayne Hassan is going to get an opportunity at some point, but you know, what if there's a, what if there's a major coaching regime change there? Obviously I don't think they're going to do what what happened this past year with Tyler Murray in Arizona. Uh, I think Hassan has got his opportunity, but over the next couple of years, I think, you know, teams will be quicker to move on in, than they have been in the past. If they're, if their guys not showing the growth and development uh, that the NFL teams want to see. Let's take this to, I'm going to rattle up renames and, and kind of let you take them in any which way you want. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Brees Hall, the running back from Iowa State. Monster game this week, 183 yards and two touchdowns. Was getting a lot of buzz on, 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 uh, Twitter this weekend. And then, uh, the other Minnesota wide receiver, Rashad Bateman, I think is an intriguing prospect. Matt and I have talked about him a little bit this year. Kind of what you like about his game, the, the different style of player he is relative to Tyler Johnson, who we talked about. And then any thoughts on Seth Williams, the Auburn wide receiver who there's so many guys that I feel like Matt and I talk about every single week, the Justin Rosses, you know, guys like that, that can be brought up every single week, uh, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, but I do think Seth Williams, sometimes Matt and I forget to bring him up as often as we do for how talented of a prospect he is as well. So any thoughts on Breach Hall, Seth Williams and Rashad Bateman? Um, so just, I haven't watched as much of Brees Hall's games because I've been just kind of, you know, preparing for a little more of those upperclassmen. But I just want everyone to remember, because um, he's still a freshman, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's something that we have to keep in mind, that he's already doing some of the things that he's doing now as a freshman. Definitely someone that we want to watch kind of as the years progress, uh, but definitely want to see what he does. He's definitely an exciting prospect. Um, moving into Rashad Bateman, Man, I just think it's amazing that a school like Minnesota can have two such diverse wide receivers that both could be, you know, top five wide receivers in their perspective classes. Um, obviously, Bateman has a lot more of that prototypical size and speed that you might want on that for an outside receiver, has great hands. You keep seeing him just moss people going up and getting the ball over smaller uh, defensive backs. And he's able to do that consistently. So that's definitely something that I want to see him do. And I want to see him work a little more over the middle of the field, just to make sure that he has that kind of running in his arsenal. I know we see a little bit of slants and kind of deeper digs, but a lot of more deeper routes down the field. And I just want to make sure that he has every, 
um, route in his arsenal and just make sure that he's, you know, progressing and making sure he's dropping those hips so he can cut inside and outside um, just to make sure he's doing that as well as possible. But Seth Williams, um, if I remember right, he was, you know, he had a little bit of injuries earlier this season. Um, but now that he's back, man, like there's not a lot of complaints I can say. He catches the ball that's thrown to him and he gets open. Like those are the people that you want to look for. Um, and he's really become a reliable target for Bo Nix. And especially with him, with Bo Nix being a freshman. And if he can have a reliable target and they can keep winning games, I'm just curious to see how Auburn's going to fit into this whole mix when we talk about college playoffs too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Auburn is a team, their defense is just fantastic. You know, obviously being led by a young quarterback there, some intriguing skill players as well. Uh, and I thought your breakdown of Bateman there w- was spot on, you know, comparing the difference in style of him and Tyler Johnson. And then going back to Breach Hall for a second, you know, Matt is, Matt here at Saturday Sunday is the one that writes up the freshman notebook. And he put a, uh, a screenshot, if anyone missed it, up on Twitter this weekend of his scouting profile slash breakdown of Breach Hall from the uh, scout, uh, freshman notebook last year. And he talked about all his strengths and, and, you know, how he solves problems on the football fields. Uh, and then the last thing he writes is with David Montgomery gone, Hall could emerge immediately. And we have seen that. We have seen Brees Hall take over that backfield and be a weapon in it for the Cyclones. And it's really impressive for these freshmen to hit the ground running. And I think it, it speaks volumes of how quickly their adaptability, their ability uh, to solve problems on the football field at such a young level. And the step up in competition from high school to college is, is stark. And for them to do that and have that impact, and it's not like Iowa State is this, you know, plug and play, any player is going to be a great running back in that scheme. I do think it speaks volumes on, on the type of talent that Brees Hall offers. So I, I highly, highly recommend uh, if anybody missed that this weekend to go over to uh, Matt's Twitter page uh, at Maddie S to S and check out uh, Brees Hall. If you go to the images, you can check out uh, Brees Hall and he has his uh, screenshot there. So Maddie underscore S to S for that. If you're interested to see a little bit uh, from the freshman notebook on Brees Hall and what kind of prospect he was when uh, Matt evaluated his high school film. So let's take this to the, the next uh part of the show, which is the tail of the tape as we look ahead to week nine from a prospect and matchup perspective. So Ken, I'm going to run through a couple things that stand out in terms of uh, this weekend, and then you could uh, chime in with any thoughts from any of the games uh, of things that you're looking forward to this weekend as well. Uh, first thing I had written down was obviously Wisconsin, Ohio state, a little bit of the luster loss with Wisconsin losing this past weekend. But I mean, this game's got prospects to really that are going to make fun watching. Obviously Jonathan Taylor on the Wisconsin side, how does he match up against that Ohio state team? 
And then for Ohio State, we already talked about Justin Fields. We talked about J.K. Dobbins. I get excited watching the underclassman running back, Master Teague. I think K.J. Hill is a guy who's going to be a, a late riser, similar to Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell when the NFL uh, starts evaluating him. I think K.J. Hill is a guy who could move up the boards with his versatility and athleticism. Uh, Oklahoma State, Iowa State. We just talked about Brees Hall, but on the other side, Trevor Hubbard, Tylen Wallace. So that game's got some really fun, explosive playmakers. There should be a lot of points scored in that Oklahoma State, Iowa State game. Obviously, we got Auburn LSU. We already talked about Joe Burrow. How does he handle this game against that defense of the Auburn? How did the wide receivers, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, can they get open and be the impactful players that they've been all season in this matchup against Auburn? And then on the other side, we just talked about Seth Williams, and I mentioned Bo Nix, a young quarterback. How do they do in this matchup against LSU? I mean, so, so many prospects. That game has massive college football playoff implications as well, but so many prospects in that as well. BC Clemson, we brought up A.J. Dillon before. Him having a big game against Clemson would, would really, you know, silence some of the doubters and some of the critics there. Uh, obviously, on the Clemson side, so much to talk about. T. Higgins, Justin Ross, Travis Ethy, and Trevor Lawrence, all of those guys, they should have a big week there. Clemson should roll in that game against BC, I think. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how if BC could hang in there at all and what Dylan does. And then Notre Dame, Michigan. On the Notre Dame side, I'm most intrigued with Cole Komet. Uh, and Chase Claypool, I think those are the guys that have the highest uh, ceiling in terms of NFL draft stock in terms of the offensive skill players. And then on the Michigan side, the wide, obviously underclassman Zach Charbonnet, intriguing prospect to watch at the running back position. But uh, all eyes when I watch Michigan continue to be on the wide receivers. You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black, Nico Collins, all of them really intriguing skill sets. Obviously, Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black were two ridiculously highly regarded recruits. Uh, they have both had some issues injury-wise, uh, production-wise, but I think talent, they're still oozing that upside and potential to still potentially be, you know, top 100 guys uh, when they're, if the NFL likes what they see in the, in the pre-draft process when they come out. And then Nico Collins, I think is more of a Dave Bury type guy, but I think he's got an NFL skill set as well. So those are the things that stand out most. Kane, any thoughts on any of those five games I mentioned, whether it's something you want to expand upon, it's something I didn't mention from either these games or any other game maybe on the slate this weekend. Yeah, so I know one game that I'm going to be watching a little bit closely. It's kind of one of those deeper games um, that not a lot of people are going to be watching with all the other games that are going on later at night, but it's uh, UCF Temple. Um, That's definitely one that I'm going to be watching a little more closely. I just want to see um, what Dylan Gabriel is going to do facing an improved Temple defense. Um, Obviously, I know there's not going to be a whole lot of big hitters on both sides of the ball, um, but... I'm really curious to see what Dylan Gabriel is going to do with, um, you know, facing a good secondary. Um, also, they have uh, Isaiah Wright on the for, at wide receiver for Temple. He was a guy that was on Last Chance U. Definitely a guy that has uh, terrific skill. Um, I doubt that he's going to be an early prospect. We might hear him kind of as like a sixth, seventh round guy, but definitely someone um, – to keep an eye on. And like you mentioned um, in some of the other games, the running back that I'm, you know, I know I've been talking with uh, Ray over at Destination Devi a little bit about uh, Zach Charbonnet. That guy's just impressive. 
and he just keeps producing and he's able to just drive those legs forward and constantly keep just gaining yard after yard. And uh, with how young he is, it's impressive to see what he does. And I'm just curious to see if he can, um, you know, just continuing to do that against good defenses in the Big Ten that are really known for shutting down the run. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that game with Temple because their quarterback is a guy that was generating a little buzz in the in the preseason or summer months leading into the college football season. Uh, Tony Pauline and 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 the guys over there uh, at draft analysts were talking him up a little bit. He's a guy that his stats aren't gaudy or anything, but there's a lot. There's, he's got some intriguing skill set, intriguing traits. So Russo is a guy that when I get an opportunity to watch the temple, I, I kind of check out Anthony Russo as a guy that when I studied him and wrote him up for the 2020 scouting notebook, I, I put in that I can see some things that intrigue would intrigue evaluators. He, I needed to see more consistency. I needed to see improvement in terms of accuracy and ball placement. So anytime I get an opportunity to watch him, it's always good to check in on these guys. Like obviously most of my analysis uh, for the sky notebook was done before the season started in their previous year's film. And then uh, during the year I make updates and then I watch a lot at the end of the year in that, you know, we have most of that month off of their December. I try to really binge and, and watch a lot of, a lot of film and update and edit things in late December and then January and February uh, to really put out, uh, you know, my fin- my final thoughts on these guys, if they declare for the NFL draft and Anthony Russo is a guy who I'm going to be excited to go back and watch and see if I see some of that growth and development. You know, we talked about it with Jacob Eason and we talked about it with Joe Burrow and other guys. I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of Anthony Russo this year. Uh, and that's something that I, I kind of want to check him out and, and see if he is starting to show some signs of improvement in those areas I was looking for. So I'm glad you brought that. Yeah, yeah he definitely has the wide receivers to do it. Um, they have definitely a group of wide receivers over there at Temple um, that definitely are surprising people. And I just want to see if they're going to be able to um, just build on kind of the momentum that they had from um, starting the year off well and then beating Maryland and just seeing what else they can do later on this season. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's going to be uh, an interesting one. There always seems to be some games under the radar. So I'm glad you brought up that one because that is one that doesn't get the national attention that that many of these other games that I mentioned will get, but for, for what we like to do in studying and evaluating prospects at, you know, underclassmen draft eligible guys, I do think that's a fun one to, to have eyes on as well. So let's close out the night with the NFL rookie report. Uh, week seven of the NFL season is in the books. So we always like to check in on the rookies, uh, and, and just kind of see stock up, stock down thoughts, comments, who we'd be targeting maybe in dynasty and, and stuff like that. And I'm going to start the quarterback position. Uh, Kyler Murray this week, obviously Kyler Murray faced up against Daniel Jones. Kyler Murray wasn't asked to do much in terms of his passing, uh, only had a road ball 21 times, 14 completions, 104 yards, uh, they had control of that game. Uh, Chase Edmonds was running wild. But the the thing that I want to bring up about Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones, and, and I'll kind of group them together and a little bit more of a, a bigger picture commentary on it. And something that I, I think sometimes at times frustrates me in terms of, uh, of what I see is I do feel like people's pre-draft narratives and takes hang with them and stick with them too long when they get to the NFL. And what I mean by that is, listen, I, 
I'm a diehard Giants fan, but I will be realistic. I've been saying that they should have moved on from Eli Manning for quite some time. Uh, Matt and I have been on record as saying we didn't like the Daniel Jones pick at the time. We thought he was a second round guy, not a top 10 pick. Uh, we came on here a couple weeks ago and we said we were wrong. And I feel like since Daniel Jones's first good game, the he is he was okay in the Washington game, and then he had Minnesota and New England, obviously two of the better defenses in the league. I thought he held his own in the Minnesota game. It wasn't great. He made a and then obviously this past week, uh he was twenty two of thirty five for two hundred and twenty three yards, one touchdown, one interception. He has things he's clearly got to work on. The 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 turnovers is an area where he's got to fix. Ball security has been an issue since the preseason. Interceptions. His first interception this week was horrendous. But I do think people have gotten into the mindset at times of looking at a box score and then falling back on whatever that box score shows them of what their pre-draft narrative and take was. And for so many, it was Daniel Jones isn't good. Daniel Jones can't play. And I, I think if people watch the games, there were still things that Daniel Jones did in this game that were highly impressive. He made up the road to Rhett Ellison where he, it was a perfect pass in the seam that perfect ball placement. He threw a perfect 35 yard pass to Evan Ingram and the ball was dropped uh, by Evan Ingram. So he wasn't helped out by there. He has things to work on, but I do think people, and the Daniel Jones thing is very similar to the Josh Allen. No one ever wants to give, so many people don't want to give Josh Allen credit because they hated him as a prospect. You know, Matt and I were fans of him. We had Sig Bloom on a lot in the, in those months, and he was also a fan of him. And we said that we really liked his skill set, and we knew we had areas to work on and improve, but we thought his traits, some of his traits were special enough that warranted being selected where he did. But I feel like even now people don't want to give Josh Allen the credit. They just always want to harp on he's not a good passer, he's inaccurate, but they they never bring up any of the other stuff. They never talk about his progress or his development. And I feel like I feel like I'm starting to see that with Daniel Jones. And it frustrates me because I do think it's not about our pre-draft takes. Everyone's pre-draft takes at times are very, very wrong. And we have to adapt and watch and not fall back on them just to try to prove whether or not people were right or wrong people like sam darnold and because of that sam darnold was given a lot of passes last year for poor play he showed signs down the stretch last year and even i feel like this week like if josh allen or daniel jones had the performance that sam darnold just did last night on monday night football they would be getting crucified for it but for Sam Darnold, it's kind of like, oh, it was a bad game. New England's defense is great. And it just kind of gets bypassed because people like Sam Darnold as a prospect. It was the same thing last year when Lamar Jackson was struggling as a passer. So I think people really liked Lamar Jackson. And I get it. I like Lamar Jackson. But I, I feel like people hold on to their pre-draft narratives a little too long. So I know I'm getting off off the beaten path here a little bit, but it was something that I had made note that I wanted to bring up this week that I do feel like too often people have to evaluate these NFL guys for what they're doing on the NFL field and forget about what they thought prior to them getting to the NFL in terms of they liked them, they didn't like them. And, and I, I get frustrated personally when I, when I feel like people don't really do that and maybe just 
look at the box score and then fall back on, oh, this guy stinks. He was terrible at Duke. Uh, and I, and I do think that's not being fair to these prospects that are trying to play at the highest level. It is a, you know, it is a, it is a developmental learning process at the NFL. I mean, Dwayne Haskins can't even get on the football field. Even if Drew Locke was healthy, I don't think he'd be on the football field yet. So, you know, for people to be knocking these guys, to me, it's not fair to the, for, to the prospects. Uh, and I do think they needed to be looked at in a different light and not held to people's pre-draft narrative. So any, any thought, you don't have to go in that regard. If you want to chime in on, on anything I just said, feel free to. But if not, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones as a whole, any any thoughts on, on what we've seen so far? Obviously, Kyler Murray's had, you know, He's been a good fantasy player, but we haven't seen the explosion offense. I think maybe we thought Daniel Jones has had some ups and downs and we haven't seen anybody else really at the quarterback position besides Gardner Minshew. Yeah. So with Kyler Murray, um, I had him ranked six out of all my rookies um, in 2019. I love Kyler Murray. I think he's a terrific talent. Um, I just think, especially with some of the injuries that we've seen towards some of his wide receivers, that he hasn't always had the greatest weapons out on the field. It certainly helps him fantasy-wise for for his defense to be as terrible as they are in some games, so he can kind of throw it more down the field. Um, but I love Kyler Murray. I think he's just going to continue to improve, and I just want to see him kind of run the ball a little bit more. He obviously has that um, terrific acceleration. I just want to make sure that he uses it sometimes. And like I'll tell you with Daniel Jones too, kind of what you were bringing up that this is the first game that Saquon Barkley was back to, so he was playing against great defenses with maybe the best running back in the NFL, not on the field, right? So you're the first game he had success and he had Saquon Barkley, and then as focus is taking off of Saquon Barkley, and then you have an injured Wayne Gallman, and then you're down to your third string running back you're going to focus on the quarterback more and you're going to make it hard, especially against two great defenses in both Minnesota and new England for that quarterback to play. And so I don't put all the blame on, um, on Daniel Jones. And I don't think it's fair to, especially doesn't matter what your pre-draft process was. It was a pre-draft process for a reason. It doesn't matter if they were drafted where you thought they were going to be or where they weren't. You just have to, change it and you have to call an audible and you have to figure out what the team was thinking when they drafted him. Um, so with that in mind, I don't hold Daniel Jones. I don't hold anything against Daniel Jones for what he had done these past couple weeks without Saquon. I just want to see how he's going to progress, especially sorry to say it, but that offensive line hasn't been great for him. Um, so they've been really bad. He's been hit repeatedly. What are you supposed to do as a rookie quarterback with your top wide receiver, uh, not on the field, you're, tight end having a neck injury and then not catching a ball and having to rely on Rhett Ellison and then you're running back finally being back what are you supposed to do you know it's just difficult to figure out what you expect of Daniel Jones so far this season yeah I mean listen I think he's surpassed expectations so far and I'm not I'm not naive enough to not think that he doesn't have a lot of areas to improve upon. He does for sure. He's got to be able to feel the pressure a little bit better and take a sack and protect the ball or throw it away. I mean, but I mean, I'm glad you brought up the offensive line. I mean, eight sacks yesterday. I mean, some of him, some of that might've been his doing, but literally Chandler Jones was just annihilating Nate Solder repeatedly. It's very similar to uh, the Tampa Bay game that Daniel Jones overcame it, but Shaq Barrett was, was the destroying Nate Solder as well. So, so, you know, 
I, I, I've been impressed with, with what he's done on the football field and it hasn't been gaudy or anything, but if people watch his, go back, if they have game pass and, and, and they watch just Daniel Jones and you watch some of his throws, the accuracy in the ball placement in certain situations, that's the stuff that I think will translate moving forward. And the other stuff I think are fixable things, feeling the pressure, ball security. So I'm still excited as a Giants fan. And this is a fan of football and, and wants to see a good quarterback play uh, of what I've seen so far in Daniel Jones. So let's take this to the running back position. I don't have a lot written down here. Josh Jacobs, really impressive performance this past week. Didn't get the ball in the end zone, but uh, basically he's became the focal point of that Oakland Raiders uh, whole entire offense. Everything seems to run through the run game now. And then uh, Darren Waller uh, making plays in the passing game as well. But I love Josh Jacobs in the pre-draft process. Uh, he'd be a guy, he was the guy who I said was the clear cut number one pick for me in all rookie drafts, regardless of setting. Uh, I think he's a guy who I still think there's more. I still think there's more. I don't think he's being fully maximized and utilized as he should. I think once they start utilizing him in their passing game as much as they should, I think we're looking at a guy who could be a top six, top eight, top 10 type potential running back in fantasy if he starts getting an opportunity to impact the game in terms of his receiving capabilities. Uh, stock up on Ty Johnson. Uh, on Johnson was uh, put on IR today, so he's not eligible to return to week 16. So the speedster, uh, Ty Johnson out of Maryland, is going to get an opportunity to to maybe handle a significant workload in that backfield. I'm sure there'll be other guys involved, J.D. McKissick, and maybe they pick up a veteran or bring back C.J. Anderson. But stock up on Ty Johnson. Get him on your dynasty rosters if he's laying out there in free agency uh, and, and see what he brings to the table. And I'm going to continue continue to, to bang the table on buying low on some of these running backs that we were excited about just a month and a half ago or two months ago. The Darrell Hendersons of the world finally got some work the last two weeks. I still think his future is bright. Darwin Thompson, I still think he's going to get an opportunity to make noise in Kansas City in the future, maybe not this year, but next year, and Justice Hill in Baltimore. So if people are down on these guys, they were expecting them to be more impactful players this year. I would try to buy low on any of those running backs. I think they all have big play potential uh, and upside in the in the in the future that I would see if I can get. Any thoughts on the on the running back position, Kane? Whether it's Jacobs or Ty Johnson or the guys I'm recommending buying low in Henderson Hill or Thompson. Yeah, I think you hit it out of the park with Josh Jacobs. I don't think I have anything to add there. Obviously, was the one on one in drafts, um, but. I, I just have a comp I want to throw out for Ty Johnson, and I just want to see um, how you feel about it. In the rookie report for DFF, I had my comp for Ty Johnson as um, Michael Turner. Um, so he's terrific. I think Ty Johnson should have gotten a chance regardless. Um, he definitely has the speed. He has the power. And I thought he was going to be like Michael Turner, that he just might not get a chance until he got to a new team. Um just like Michael Turner did obviously with the Falcons. Um, but you know, I just, I'm curious what you think about that. And then just one other question for you, just cause I'm a little curious. I got this DM, um, from someone that had a question for me in dynasty. Are you wanting Ty Johnson? Are you dropping Darwin Thompson for Ty Johnson? Which one are you going to keep between the two? Oh man. Uh, so the the Ty Johnson Michael Turner comp, I, I think it's intriguing in terms of the that that burst and acceleration. I do think Ty Johnson's straight speed 
it was faster than Michael Turner. I do feel like Ty Johnson without maybe, a doubt. I, I do feel like Ty Johnson has a little bit more versatility to maybe be a impactful receiver, even though he wasn't used that way in college. We saw it in I think it was the Shrine game where he was making noise down there in in Florida uh, in terms of his pass catching ability. So I do think his receiving capabilities is better than Michael Turner. I do think I do think Michael Turner had the physicality and toughness to hold up a little bit more to maybe Ty Johnson, where I looked at Ty, I looked at Michael Turner as a guy who had to wait out his time, but could be a bell cow when he got it. And we saw that when he ended up being in Atlanta. But I think the early career comp of, of Michael Turner, when he wasn't the bell cow, I think was intriguing because we saw those glimpses where he would get on the field and he would make that big play and, and you would be like, wow, I wish we could see more of that. And he eventually got his opportunity and became a very good player. I, I could see that with Ty Johnson where we see, we see glimpses of that big playability and maybe now he's going to get a full opportunity. So I see some similarities. I, I think their body, their body type and, and, and stuff is a little bit different, but I can see early career Michael Turner and and that and Ty Johnson in terms of some similarities there. And in regards to Ty Johnson or Darwin Thompson, I still believe I, I think I'll 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 say it like this. I don't want to release Darwin Thompson. And the only way I would release Darwin Thompson for Ty Johnson is if I was a contender now and needed a guy that I can play the rest of the season. Because then, I mean, we're in it to win it, right? So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give up a season to hold out hope that Darwin Thompson gets an opportunity next year to be a part of that offense. But I think his ceiling and his opportunity maybe in Kansas City is greater than Ty Johnson. I like Carryon Johnson. Obviously, now maybe he, we're gonna start saying he's injury prone, so maybe they don't look to him to be as much of a workhorse next year. So maybe Ty Johnson could carve out a role. But I'm not sure. I kind of feel like if it wasn't Carryon Johnson, they might add another guy to the mix. So I think Dar- I think Darwin Thompson is ceiling is higher, and I would try to hold on to him. But I would not blame anybody for making that move if they needed a guy for this year. Because if they're trying to win, I mean, like I said, you're in it to win it. So I do think uh, releasing him for Johnson would make sense in that situation. Right. And that was, that was my thoughts too. I just was curious, um, about your take. And it's what's really more interesting, especially with the Lions is that Zach Zenner just got released from the Saints. So maybe he's a guy, um, that the Lions think about picking back up with him, um, being on their team the last couple of years as well. Yeah, I think now him and CJ Anderson, so two guys that were on their roster to start the year or in training camp, uh, both available out there. So let's close it out. I want to talk about one last guy, uh, in the, in the rookie report, and that's AJ Brown. Finally started to play in two wide receiver sets for Tennessee. He was my number one wide receiver last year. Top of my wide receiver board, uh, was AJ Brown, Marquise Brown, then Calvin Harmon. Obviously, I was very disappointed when Calvin Harmon, uh, went sixth round, like I said before, draft capital matters. And that sixth round draft capital, it's going to be hard for him maybe to ever get a true opportunity to be the player I thought he could be. But I loved AJ Brown. Uh, 
a year plus ago, I was I was saying he reminded me of Juju Smith, and and that seems to be the comp that's being put out there a lot now in a lot of different scenarios. And 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 I and I think that's spot on. I I've been saying that for quite some time. Uh, I know everyone loved DK Metcalf at Ole Miss, and I understand why he was the splashier and the sexier player. But they asked AJ Brown to do everything in that offense. He was what made that offense run last year. Uh, he was the guy that they just asked to do a lot more and be the focal point. They only asked DK Metcalf to play one side of the field, run a couple routes, and he was very effective at them. But I think AJ Brown is a complete player, can play inside and outside, similar to Juju Smith. I think his best spot is inside in the big slot. And I hope the changing of the guard to Ryan Tannehill, not that I think Tannehill is much of an upgrade from Mariota, but he does seem to be a little bit more willing to be aggressive in terms of passing, maybe put in the tighter windows. So I think stock up on AJ Brown right now. If, you know, because his stats aren't all that gaudy besides a few plays here or there, because he hasn't just been getting the time. I would be, I would still be aggressive in, in, in seeing if I can get AJ Brown on my roster. Obviously, 2020 picks are in high, high demand and, and rightfully so. And there's going to be a lot of really fun and, and talented prospects. But if somebody, if somebody was looking to maybe move AJ Brown, I'd be willing to be a little bit aggressive in going to get him because I think. You know, quarterback situations change. So I'm not going to sit here and say I don't want him because of the offense. Things change very quickly in the NFL. Tennessee is going to be in the market for a new quarterback this offseason. Uh, so who knows who, you know, who knows how long their offense will look as it currently does. So I would be buying AJ Brown wherever I could. And I do want to make note that two tight ends, Irv Smith Jr., another guy that I'd be trying to buy right now. I think, you know, the, the explosion we've seen from Mark Andrews this year. I think next year that could be Irv Smith. I think Irv Smith is a guy who could emerge next year. Uh, they could easily get out of Kyle Rudolph's contract. Obviously, uh, I know you're a fan of the Gophers. I'd be interested in to 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 hear if you also are a Vikings fan and your take on Irv Smith Jr. I know I loved him in the pre-draft process. Uh, I uh, honestly I liked him more than Noah Fan in terms of his pass catching ability, his route running. I thought Noah Fan was a little bit unrefined. I liked him overall and his upside, but I thought Irv Smith was already uh, already a great route runner. And I'm I'm excited. I don't know if they're going to use him more with Thielen potentially out this week. Uh, but Irv Smith is a guy I try to get on my roster now and this year before the offseason because I do think it's possible they move on uh, from Kyle Rudolph that four-year contract extension sounded like from what I heard and read it sounded like it was, a lot of it was phony money that it looked good on paper but not something that they couldn't easily get out of with minimal cap implications if they wanted to and I just love the player Irv Smith and I do think Foster Moreau if Darren Waller ever you know Foster Moreau's a guy who could be an impactful player there. Now maybe Darren Waller blocks him, but who knows if they, you know, start using Darren Waller exclusively. I mean, they basically already use him exclusively as a wide receiver. Uh, so I do think there's some, you know, in deep tight end in deep dynasty leagues or two tight end leagues or whatever. I think Foster Moreau's a name to keep on our radar as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, AJ Brown was my wide receiver too in this um, rookie draft. I absolutely love AJ Brown. Obviously was the best receiver on his team in college. Um, I don't even think, you know, DK Metcalf was the second best receiver on that team. Um, so you're not gonna I don't need to get into my DK Metcalf hate right now. <laughs> you can find that everywhere on Twitter from me. Um, but I think it's important for AJ Brown um to get him now. I would buy him 
forever. I will always want to buy him because I think he's a terrific talent. Um, when it comes to Irv Smith, obviously I am a Minnesota Vikings fan. Um, it sucks being a fan of their franchise. I'll tell you that. I'd just like to win once and then maybe I'll like be a fan of a different team or something to like still feel this bad all the time. But, um, Irv Smith is a terrific talent. I had him third, obviously in, um, my tight end rankings. I actually had Noah Fant first and then Hawkinson and then, um, Irv Smith, but I think he's fantastic. And obviously I want to say, um, if I remember right on the contract with Kyle Rudolph, I think there's only about 10 million dead cap if we were to cut him at the end of the season, 10 million spanned over those four years. So really not bad for, you know, if we wanted to release him and save those, save that money, we have a terrific cap guy. Um, I think it's Robert Zinsky that does the cap at, for the Vikings and he's fantastic at it. Um, but yeah, I think he's fantastic. I would be buying Irv Smith. I would want to buy Irv Smith for probably a late second round pick in the 2020 class. And I think pe- most people would probably do it. Um, if I'm not in the super flex league, I would be selling that late, um, 2020 pick for Irv Smith. Um, I've tried to buy Foster Moreau in a couple places and just with the breakout over the last couple of weeks when Darren Waller's kind of been banged up over the um, second half of games, it's been harder to buy Foster Moreau, but definitely a guy I want to keep in mind um, to buy. I think it's going to be difficult and I don't know how much time he's going to see on the field when Oakland finally gets better receivers next year, um, especially with Darren Waller signing that huge contract. But I'm really curious to see how Foster Moreau is going to do moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So uh I think we're lockstep right there on A.J. Brown, Foster Moreau, and Irv Smith. So there it is, guys, the NFL Rookie Report for Week 7. Guys, hopefully you enjoyed this show. Kane, thank you so much uh, for joining me. It was an absolute blast. We went a little long tonight, but uh we, we covered a lot of guys and, and talked a lot about a lot of different prospects. I think it was very informative and fun conversation with you. Uh, please let the audience, again, I know you mentioned it before, let them know uh, what your Twitter handle is. Uh, uh, and then obviously uh, anything else you want to again mention uh, from DFF that you guys are working on and, and uh, doing over there. Yeah. So uh, my Twitter handles at DFF underscore Kane, obviously I'm the uh, Devi and college director for DFF. Like I said earlier, take advantage of that DraftKings um, membership, get a free membership to DFF. That means you're getting everything from DFS to redraft to dynasty IDP um, Devi and college, all of that great stuff. Um, we have upwards of 50 writers now that are just putting out content all the time. Definitely something to take a peek at. Um, the new venture that I'm kind of working on is called the Devi Diet. So at Devi Diet on Twitter, um, go and take a peek to the first video just dropped today. Um, we're just focusing on, you know, kind of couple minute videos of me eating snacks and trying to um, compare uh, a player a Devi player to those snacks and just watching a little bit of film afterwards um, on him just to kind of see the strengths and weaknesses. And it's really been a blast trying to get that up and running. But Paul, I just want to thank you for having me on. It's been a blast. I've enjoyed uh, talking football and I know my wife who's walking around our apartment probably hasn't enjoyed this conversation as much as I have, (laughs) Um, but I just want to say thanks and I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Guys, make sure you get over, uh, follow him on Twitter, follow uh, all the DFF uh, guys over there. Check out his new podcast venture as well. So on behalf of Kane, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.